Good afternoon and welcome to the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Candace Dirksen. Coming up this afternoon, Jack Burnett offers up the Old Farmer's Almanac's fall and winter forecast. And Gordon Jansen, Manitoba rep for the Canadian Food Grains Bank, talks about the work of the organization. The latest farm news and market numbers also coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Reporter Shannon Duick spoke with Jack Burnett, who offered up the Old Farmer's Almanac's fall and winter forecast. Well, what we're looking for, uh, Shannon, in your neck of the woods, is a, uh, and across most of the uh, prairies, is uh, a winter that's uh, not quite so cold as it has been in the past and uh, a little bit wetter than normal. Um, and by that I mean there will be more precipitation, but uh, less of it will be in the form of snow. So more uh, edge precipitation uh, because the, the temperatures will be not quite so cold. There will be more instances of sleet and freezing rain, I'm uh, sad to say. <laughs> and uh, other than that, uh, you know, nothing really. It's kind of like the fall. Um, there will be, you know, deviations, but nothing, nothing huge. We are looking for the real cold spots uh, of the winter to be run from the end of December all the way through January, except for the second week of January. That's when we see the real hardcore cold settling in, which, you know, would would only make sense. But the, the reason I bring that up is that we don't really see any super long-term hardcore cold spells after the end of January, very beginning of February. So um, we'll see a spring um, kind of, uh, you know, ease into spring. It's not going to be spring like in March or February by any stretch of the imagination. But we're seeing the real hardcore winter kind of centered uh, on January. Now, as far as uh, snow goes, I mean, there certainly is going to be snow. Make no mistake about that. Um, But we see that spread out more. Um, We're looking for the three um, heavy-duty doses of snow, if you want to put it that way, um, uh, as arriving at the end of November. So there's a little bit early arrival. Um, The middle 10 days of January and the first week of March. So, uh, you know, whereas the cold is centered right in January, the uh, the snow is spread from November, you know, through March. Um, but again, uh, is, much of it will be uh, a wetter uh, type of snow, we think, with the exception of you know what I just what I just said with regard to cold and snow, where those overlap is right in the middle ten days of January. So middle ten days of January look to be very cold, and they look to to see snow, too. So as you know, um, that means that the snow is going to be lighter and fluffier. So there's the good news there. It'll be easier to deal with. Are there any big storms you want to highlight? The one thing I wanted to – I'm glad you asked me that. The the one thing that I wanted to highlight was a real the real uh, cold snap um, from uh, – uh, December 21st to the 31st. So right around the the holidays, we're expecting it to be to be really cold. Other than that, we don't have any um, any snowstorms that really stand out. It's funny, you know. Until I'm on, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, 
we never really sort of called for snowstorms and blizzards and things like that because our ancient ways of of doing things has never produced the the indicators that uh, kind of merited us even calling special attention to anything. Um, but you know, starting a few years ago, you know, the signs that came out of our computers when they spit out uh, the forecasts according to our old formula were so great for you know snow heavy snowstorms or whatever. Um, you know, tropical storm threats along the coast and so on, hurricanes, um, that we just started, uh, we started to include them. But this year we don't see, I mean, there's certainly going to be snowstorms and there's probably going to be a blizzard or two because it's Manitoba, you know. But right now, you know, when we did our forecast almost two years ago, we didn't see any indicators that really, really jumped out to us. Seems early to even be talking about snow, but I know we're now in that month in southern Manitoba where we can get uh, a light dusting. Um, do you have at your fingertips or able to tell us when you anticipate we might see that first snow in this part of the province? So the first snow, first indication of snow, um, we're looking at November 14th, 15th, 16th, something like that. Okay, so we got a couple months to go yet. Well, you know, October uh, October eighteenth, nineteenth, twentieth, snow snow showers. So okay. that's what really the that's in the twenty twenty one Old Farmers Almanac, um, which came out last year. So yeah, so looks like the first snow showers, you know, the first uh, spittings we might call them, um, right around the twentieth of October. And then the first real uh, kind of uh, arrival of, of heavier snow showers around the 20th of November. So seems to be like 20 is your lucky number. That was Jack Burnett with the Old Farmer's Almanac. He'll join us again later in the show to explain how the Old Farmer's Almanac formulates its forecasts. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. And now for a look at today's farm news. The Manitoba government is encouraging all Manitobans to learn more about the great diversity of food production in the province and the importance of agriculture to the provincial economy, as the 7th Annual Farm and Food Awareness Week kicks off today. This year's theme is Building Agri-Food Connections, extending the province's commitment to engage with Manitobans about agriculture and the importance of their own food production. In addition to initiatives hosted by sector partners and stakeholders, Manitoba will host webinars on the importance of building public trust in the agri-food industry and on the animal and plant protein sector. Ag Minister Ralph Eichler will also proclaim Wednesday, September 22nd as Local Veggie Day in partnership with Farm to School Manitoba and the Manitoba Association of Home Economists. Soybean harvest has just started in the province. Manitoba Agriculture's Dane Fraze offered an update last week. Uh, soybean harvest is just about to get started or has started in, in a few spots. Haven't heard any yields yet, but we expect to see that ramp up very quickly. Corn harvest will begin probably closer towards the first part of October. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we should see many cornfields being wrapped up. And canola growers in the province can get their fields tested for clubroot, blackleg, verticillium stripe, and glyphosate-resistant weeds through the Manitoba Canola Growers Association's Get Tested program. Spokesperson Justine Cornelson explains how it works. They would email Manitoba Canola Growers and they get a code. 
for their free testing. Um, and then once you've got that code, um, either the, the canola grower or their agronomist can submit samples on their behalf. So these samples go to the Pest Surveillance Initiative Lab in Winnipeg, um, and that's where they can be um, tested for all of these different things. From there, that grower would then get a report back, and if it was something like club root, it would say positive or negative for, for that species within the field. That was a look at your farm news for today. I'm Candace Dirksen. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Ag Wire for Monday, September 20th. I'm Candace Dirksen. Coming up today, Gordon Jansen, the Manitoba rep for the Canadian Food Grains Bank, talks about the organization's work. As harvest rolls on on the prairies, so does progress on the country's Canadian Food Grains Bank grow projects. Reporter Judy Peters spoke with Gordon Jansen, the Manitoba rep for the organization, who talked about the work of the Food Grains Bank. Now, I've noticed that a lot of farmers are very passionate about growing food, but also Mm -hmm. about making sure that people around the world do have enough to eat. And I'm wondering, the Canadian Food Grains Bank is continuing to evolve and adjust and the programs are being added and changed. What what does the Canadian Food Grains Bank do now with the crops that come off the fields? Uh, right now, uh, well, we are responding to food needs in 33 countries. So last year, that's the number of countries that we responded to. Uh, we are, we've been uh, promoting uh, conservation agriculture as a, a way to help people uh, to improve their livelihoods on small-scale farms in in countries where there is uh, where where there's a threat of um, of drought and and sometimes flooding, uh, you know the climate issues have been uh, been seen as more frequent in many areas, and so that that conservation. Uh, agriculture programs have really helped to improve uh, livelihoods for ma- for many. So that's one. But a big part of it uh, of our work is also just responding to the needs of uh, of people who have uh, food insecurity because they've had to move because of conflict. They've also had to uh, respond to uh, to uh, COVID in the past year, and that's really affected. Uh, economies and the, there's been increased numbers of hungry people. So, um, so uh, those are some of the uh, the reasons that uh, we have to keep working at at what we do to address hunger needs. With going through the website uh, for the Canadian Food Grains Bank, I've recognized that there's a lot of education that happens. It's mm-hmm. not simply just we're going to grow food here and ship it over there. It's yeah. changed the way we respond. Yes, and and that's uh, we we are in. We often invite our supporters to respond in four ways: to to pray. Uh, to learn, to give, and also to advocate. And so, um, in in terms of learning about hunger, uh, we have uh, education resources and also worship resources. Uh, but education w- resources like uh, a board game called the Breaking the Cycle of Hunger, 
and that's in a paper version and an online version is coming. That's a, an, a, a resource that helps families and, and uh, classrooms to, to learn about the, the numbers of hungry people. And there's, um, it's hard to know how many there are, but an average of uh, 768 million people who are food insecure in the world today. So learning about that is important. And also advocating, um, and and ad- advocating to those people who make decisions to uh, have policies that will help people beyond our borders, and to uh, improve food food security for people abroad. And then finally, of course, we always in- invite people to give to the Food Grains Bank or other organizations that uh, address food security in the world. The pandemic has certainly meant that we've all needed to pivot and adjust in how we do things Mm -hmm. with our lives. One of the conversations I had with somebody yesterday uh, regarding the Landmark Grow project, he talked Mm -hmm. about this project being handed down through the family to be passed on to make sure that there will always be somebody who will keep the projects going. Is that something you hear about in other projects throughout the province? Well, uh, yeah, there is a sense of uh, of this being a a valuable uh, community event and valuable not only uh, f- abroad for the um, the benefit that it comes that it brings to our member agencies to address hunger abroad, but also the value for what it does here, uh, you know, bringing the community together. So that's um, yes, I have heard that, and it's good to hear that that uh, you've heard that. Um, yes, that's there is something uh, really valuable about the community aspect. In fact, that's that's part of our tagline of working together, not only working together abroad to address hunger, but working together here. That was Gordon Jansen, Manitoba rep for the Canadian Food Grains Bank. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email at thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Candace Dirksen and thanks for listening. Have a good afternoon. Prairie Agwire will return Tuesday on the Golden West Farm Network. And now for a look at your farm calendar. Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is holding an introduction to Holistic Management Mondays beginning October 4th and running until November 8th. These online sessions will be held from 6 to 7 p.m. Registration is required. Ag in Motion presents a post-harvest information session October 20th. Topics include storing grain options, winter equipment decisions, and more. Visit the Ag in Motion website to register. Verified Beef Production Plus webinars are being held Tuesday evenings at 7 o'clock. These interactive webinars allow participants to view presentations as well as ask questions in real time. Pre-registration is required, so contact Melissa Atchison at 204-264-0294 or email verifiedbeefmanitoba at gmail.com. And the official Manitoba Hunter Safety Course is available online. This is endorsed by the province of Manitoba and Manitoba Wildlife Federation. Visit huntercourse.com to register.
Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Monday afternoon, Jack Burnett is back, and he's explaining how the Old Farmer's Almanac formulates its forecasts. And Jack, I know it's always interesting to talk a little bit about uh, how the Old Farmer's Almanac makes its forecast, and I, I certainly found it interesting when you said that uh, uh, some of this uh, was already came out or, or was already um, uh, discussed and, and forecasted two years ago. Can you talk a bit about that process? Sure. What we do is uh, we we start far, far in advance, and just as a as a base for making our forecasts every year, we have all of the weather uh, observations that we've ever been able to find from Manitoba uh, and uh, you know throughout the prairies in Canada and the U.S. for that matter, uh, from the various weather services and their predecessors. Um, and we have those all loaded into uh, a computer or, you know, computers. And so we take this, the same three things that our founder used in 1792, which have long since been turned into sort of computer algorithm filter type things. Um, and the, those uh, factors that the founder, Robert B. Thomas, used were long-term tre- weather trends in an area which we now call climatology, localized, more localized factors of air masses, the effect of lakes and winds and so on, which we now call meteorology. And then the third thing which set him apart and kind of sets us apart is that he believed that solar radiation, you know, sunspots he looked at, they had something to do with it too. So he started making his forecasts in 1792 and they were they were accurate, you know. Of course, back then he didn't have he obviously didn't have the satellites and ocean buoys and everything else that we have today to get our scientific data. Um, when when he was talking about long term weather trends, you know, he was he was relying on what people on the stagecoach remembered from you know 20 years before. You know, the information that he used was was pretty sketchy at times. Um, but he he was a success, and over the years we've uh, we've refined it. So what we do is we take those three things uh, into consideration. We go back in time uh, using computer power, and we try to find patterns in the past that resemble the present. The present meaning whenever it is we're making the forecast. And then what we do is we find. Uh, we go back and we look to see what happened next back then. And then we say, would it make sense for what happened next back then to happen next now? So that's kind of how we project into the future. We look, um, we look at patterns, we look at those three factors, and then we also, um, over the past four years, we've been running a little test to try to incorporate um, the effects of climate change uh, into our ancient method. We spend a lot of time um, every year and a fair amount of money trying to see how accurate we've been. And, you know, because of our ways of doing things are going off the rails, we would like to be the first to know, not the last. So our meteorologists have found a, a way um, we've tested over four years to kind of tweak our ancient formula um, to, you know, to make sure that our accuracy remains, uh, you know, close to the 80% traditionally that we've been. Um, because, oh, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, 
you know, sometimes we were 72% or 73%. Of course, sometimes we were 84% too, but we wanted to make sure that we were up there. So last year, you know, we were 78.5. So that's that's not too bad. So anyway, that's how we that's how we come up with the, the forecast, as you say, and, and as I said, they're done um, about a year and a half to two years in advance, and um, you know every winter we finalize them. Every uh, March we finish doing figuring out our results, our accuracy from the previous year. That's the last thing to come in, uh, but uh, it's an extremely complicated process. There are you know, scores of thousands of little factoids that we have to check and take into consideration. But it's a lot of fun, and, and you know, we take a lot of pride in, in continuing a 230-year-old tradition. That was Jack Burnett with the old Farmer's Almanac. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. And now for another look at today's farm news. Soybean harvest has just started in Manitoba. We asked Dane Fraze with Manitoba Agriculture if the late season rains helped round out the crop ahead of harvest. The rain tends to help even up maturity in many cases. So okay. what we see with rains, we do tend to see soybean crops uh, drop leaves and become a little bit more uniform towards harvest. It's not likely that the rain will have helped uh, increase yield at all. Mm-hmm. It may help increase bushel weight a little bit by making the seeds heavier. But right now, I don't have any specific comments on yield. It was, it's a little too early to tell, but so far from what I have been hearing is, is generally good. Meantime, Fraze expects corn harvest to begin in the first part of October. Canola growers in the province can get their fields tested for clubroot, blackleg, verticillium stripe, and glyphosate-resistant weeds through the Manitoba Canola Growers Association's Get Tested program. Spokesperson Justine Cornelson explains. So something like our clubroot test, actually, we do recommend growers um, test their canola fields for next spring. So if you're coming out of a wheat or a cereal crop, you should test that soil right now to see what the spore load for club root is before you go and plant a canola field in it next year. Email Manitoba Canola Growers to start the testing process. And the Manitoba government is encouraging all Manitobans to learn more about the great diversity of food production in the province and the importance of agriculture to Manitoba's economy as the 7th annual Farm and Food Awareness Week kicks off today. This year's theme is Building Agri-Food Connections, extending the province's commitment to engage with Manitobans about agriculture and the importance of their own food production. In addition to initiatives hosted by sector partners and stakeholders, Manitoba will host webinars on the importance of building public trust in the agri-food industry and on the animal and plant protein sector. Ag Minister Ralph Eichler will also proclaim Wednesday, September 22nd, Local Veggie Day, in partnership with Farm to School Manitoba and the Manitoba Association of Home Economists. I'm Candace Dirksen. And we've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Candace Dirksen. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email at thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. I'm Candace Dirksen and thanks for listening. Have a good afternoon. We'll meet you back here tomorrow at 12 o'clock.